0: we to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Today is my second interview in Women Who Rock. This is Women Women Wednesday podcast day. Um, my guest now is author J.D. Allen. Let me tell you a little bit about Jules. She's Pretty cool she um, attended Ohio State University and earned a degree are you ready in physical anthropology and a creative writing minor I can't wait to talk to her about those uh, writing mysteries was not her first career but her second but anyway um, she decided to write the sin City investigative series when and it made all her dreams come true and so this is wonderful. Uh, She has been giving back to the writing community for a long time now. She's a member of BoucherCon and the former uh, chair of VoucherCon. She's a member of uh, the triangle chapter of Sisters in Crime. I see her at all the conferences that I'm able to go to. She's really spectacular. I'm so thrilled to welcome to the show, J.D. Allen. Hi, Jules. How are you? Hey Pam, how are you? I'm great. So
1: you called. i might sound
0: ca- like a trucker. I'm gonna apologize <laughs>
1: for the sore throat but, right off the bat. That,
0: that, <laughs> that's okay. You you live in Florida now instead of North Carolina, and you came I you do. you came back from with conference crud, which I think everybody does. So yeah. um, not a worry about it. Um, I, I have to ask. When I was you know doing my research, when you you agreed to come on, I did not know. That you started off <laughs> in anthropology can you can you talk about that a little bit?
1: I can't I can't. I actually was trying to be a nurse <laughs> to
0: be honest
1: with you. I had worked as an e m t for a while was trying to be a nurse, and then we figured out I was dyslexic, and that working on live people was not the best thing in the world. So I saw my counselor at Ohio State with all the, the chemistry and stuff that I had, the biology. She pointed me in the direction of physical anthropology, which, of course, is you know the study of human remains that would, would be dry bones, so to speak. Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, so would that qualify you to, for example, do forensic work?
1: I did some forensics work in college. I also did some intern work at the morgue. Um, but um, unfortunately, at the time, when I, when I came out of school, I didn't have the master's degree or the Ph.D. And I also didn't have anybody paying my bills. So I had to get a job. Yeah. <laughs> <You> <laughs> so had I had to work, huh? work, Yeah, I actually had to work. Yeah. I did some volunteer work here and there. And, of course, I, I stayed up with my studies in the field because I knew someday when I started writing, I had this great idea. I was going to write a show about an investigative unit in a city, you know, when forensics was first getting big. And that year, a particular TV show came on.
0: Bones! (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, it was right
1: before Bones. It was CSI. Oh, Oh, there you uh, go. Yeah, so everything I had been working toward writing. And, of course, I was doing it on the college schedule, which is sometimes a little different than trying to be a professional author. You know, in college, they want you to write a book over four years.
0: In the wow. real world,
1: <laughs> <Okay. laughs> right doesn't work like years, that almost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, not exactly, like but that. you at least have to be putting one out. So, so life took over, and I ended up doing software development testing. You know, for a long time before hmm. I finally got back in the chair and and starting putting my hand towards fiction again.
0: Um, it's interesting to me because. Physical anthropology and creative writing are not things that necessarily go hand in hand, although if you are a fiction mystery writer, it would work out pretty well for you, and obviously it has. So um, I'm assuming you always had an interest in writing.
1: I actually, again, because I had dyslexia early, I had, a, I had a craving for storytelling, but I, I was not good at writing in and of itself, which is another reason why it was never the forefront of my career. But I was able to develop stories and tell them both orally, and I would write scripts. I did a lot of theater in high school and, and in the beginning of college, uh, directing, storytelling in that manner. It wasn't really till that the the dyslexia was diagnosed and i I found some mentors like Stephen Kamal who mm-hmm. really showed me that you know the minutia of getting the words on the paper, although there are some grammar Nazis out there, it's just an extra step I have to take to have someone fix that but the the gift of storytelling was there regardless of the ability to put a comma in the right place. Once I knew and had confidence in that, it really wasn't long until I was writing full-length novels again.
0: Now, there is, I have read in some of the crazy offbeat, you know, easings and all that I read, that there is a font that people with dyslexia can use and that it makes it easier. Is that true? Yes. It's called the dyslexia font.
1: You know, and it's um, each letter then is kind of differently shaped. In, in, in other words, like a B and a D in a regular font look very similar if you just flip them over. But in dyslexia mm-hmm. font, they're different enough. I mean, it certainly doesn't make it perfect, but it improves my flow when I'm reading, which I don't typically do as I'm writing. But when I go back to reread, it's my first line of defense. And I also use a tool called Grammarly,
0: Uh I don't know if you've heard of that. Sure. It's an
1: online tool. It was designed for non-speakers of English, you know, doing business papers. But it does a fabulous job over the years. It's been upgraded of of being my first, like, real edit that it goes through and helps me choose. It, It tells me when I've used the wrong word. It's very, you know, it's very intelligent. for, And you can tell it for fiction or business. And it kind of doesn't change your voice. Of course, it doesn't do anything that I don't let it do. And then, of course, what I do is I actually pay someone to do a line edit up to get rid of my dyslexia before I give a manuscript to my agent or an editor.
0: Um, I don't know if you know Simon Wood, who's also a thriller novelist. I do. He yep. Simon is also severely dyslexic. And, He's profoundly um, dyslexic, yeah. He and is. I, I, I I'm
1: so in awe of him to be able to I do hit- what he does.
0: I mean, this guy wrote he raced cars, he learned how to fly an airplane. He does all yeah. these things and you know, he says he, he credits it to his wife, I think who's like a, a physicist or an astrophysicist or something. You know, she helps him out. Um, they also they also are beekeepers and have the most exceptional honey I buy from them every year, by the way. But um <laughs> But yeah, you know, it doesn't seem to be. I'm dyslexic when it comes to numbers. Like, I'll write down my own phone number, and it'll be backwards. So I have to really pick it out carefully. Um, mm-hmm. You know, or if I'm giving the studio call-in number, I have to read it over a few times before I post, because sure enough, I'll get it backwards. Um, <laughs> I get my 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 building number, I get wrong all the time too. So I understand that. It's frustrating. But you, you know, I think you've overcome it so well. And also, another thing I want to mention is you have the largest collection of conference lanyards of anybody I know, don't you?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, I do. And it, you know, I used to write romance you know, before I switched over to mystery. And if you added the romance ones back into it, it would really be a huge pile. But I, I yes, I. I I don't have a count on them, but I have a pile.
0: I know that you, ha- you have them hanging someplace. I don't remember if it's on a hat rack or a hook or what. But one day you had a post in your Facebook page. And I burst out laughing because I thought I was the only one who collected those things. But I guess not. So no, um, no,
1: no. Yeah. Because the comp- they're in the corner. They're in the corner uh-huh. with my broadsword. So <laughs> So
0: funny. So you are also a conference junkie, and I'm assuming it's because, first of all... That's not the word all,
1: my husband uses. My husband talks me <laughs> a <his> conference How
0: <laughs> What does he know? Has he ever been to one with you, by the way? Has he ever uh, been he to... Came, he,
1: he came to BoucherCon when it was in New Orleans, and he came late, and he
0: left early. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that... Um, non-writers and non-readers who go to one of those conferences are stunned when they go i i can remember being at Bouchercon in um raleigh and the bar and restaurant manager was kind of standing on a rise overlooking the bar and you know the cacophony that comes from the bar when all the writers are together and he was shaking right. his head and i looked over at him i said what were you expecting, a bunch of real quiet introverts? He goes, yeah, I really was. He said, we, we never in a world of, never expected this. You life. know, and I
1: don't know if yeah, you remember, but I was co-chair of Raleigh, and we sit right. down and we tell them. And they can see what the bar costs are at the last hotel we were at.
0: Right. They and never have enough them, people and around. And tell them yes. and they
1: never have enough people because they, Never. Like, yeah, I don't know if they do think it's going to be you know quiet and calm and and in Raleigh that would have only been half the people cuz there was two bars cuz there was two Exactly.
0: Hotels. two hotels and oh. the, so I said to him I said it's kind of like when a bear comes out of, out of hibernation I said mm-hmm. this is what happens when <laughs> writers come out of the writing cave and you know they're happy to see their own they can all react to each other and they're all going to you know, pump each other up and give them support. He said, It's the damnedest thing I've ever seen. I remember saying that, just shaking his head. He said, You know, we have business conferences all the time here. And he said, I, I just I can't believe it. And I said, You don't have enough bartenders or service He goes, No, we don't I said, you know <laughs> no, we don't. So No, we don't. Listen, I want to talk about I know you wrote Romance before but I want to talk about Sin City Investigation Series because this is the one that's fun for me. Tell us where this came from. I mean, this is the glitz and the glamour and all of Sin City. It's a great PI series but how did this happen?
1: Well, you know, a lot of times for me it all starts with a character with an idea. So I had a buddy that was falsely accused of rape in Raleigh or in Raleigh not in Raleigh anymore but in Raleigh and I kind of lived through that experience with him on how much it destroyed his life and how much he had to start over and how much money it cost him and he handled it sorry he, he's using the dog bar he
0: handled it very that's okay
1: well. so uh-huh. I thought well what would happen if somebody didn't handle it as well as he did because you know it's a rough thing and then I said well maybe he'd run away to Vegas and you know, do something in Vegas. So it actually started that way. I knew I wanted to start a crime series. So, I mean, that was not a question. And I was pretty good, you know, pretty sure it was going to be a PI series. And then I kind of tried to keep it away from, like, the the Vegas mobster, so to speak, you know. Right. Or the Vegas, you know, stealing from the casino kind of thing. And I wanted it to sure. be more about the people who live in and around Vegas and the crimes right. that happen
0: there because of the atmosphere of Vegas.
1: So that's where he came from.
0: I think a lot of people don't know, especially those who've only been to the Strip in Vegas, that there is a very sprawling community out there. and a um, very large community. a very diverse community. Yeah, and and people who really don't go to the casinos, they live their life out there because I think at one time because of taxes paid by the casinos, the cost of living was pretty good. I, I don't know what it is now because I've been out there in years, but, um, but well, it, it really, had, you it's know, a, they
1: had a crash, you know, like the rest of us did. You know, there's right. whole subdivisions and developments that started and didn't get finished. But right. it was a big draw. it took a lot of people from California who weren't able to afford housing and could go to Vegas and afford some very nice housing either work around the casinos or with their own jobs, whatever they were doing before in their own industry. But that, you know, there's, there's trailer parks in Vegas. There's really nice subdivisions in Vegas. You know, there's, you know, hunting and fishing and horses and camping and, and, you know, there's all kinds of things that go on there. And it was those people that kind of support the strip that I wanted to kind of look into.
0: So I want to ask, and I think you've made this clear, you start with an idea or a character.
1: Sometimes both. You know, like in the second book, I really wanted to talk about human trafficking. And and I also wanted Jim's ex-girlfriend to show up from the past. So that was kind of both. I had her character. And I knew I really wanted to kind of shine a light on one of these crimes that goes on that as, as prolific as it is in the entire country that nobody really right. talks about. Right.
0: Yeah, as a matter of fact, I had an interesting conversation with uh, Nelson DeMille and Alex DeMille last night, and we talked about human trafficking, and I, I think most folks think that happens someplace else, but the fact of the matter is m- many human beings are trafficked in this country alone. Um, in in almost thousands <laughs> it's really are, yeah, it's, it's yeah. overwhelming it's an overwhelming, it's overwhelming the amount of
1: people who right. are either brought and, here or actually trafficked right here
0: right exactly and it's it's a horrible 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 crime because um uh you know when that poor victim is is lost their usefulness oftentimes they're eliminated so um you know and it's for all think kinds of that things
1: that we should I think we should quit calling it human trafficking, and we should call it modern slavery, because that's well, it is. really what it is. The, these people is, are taken absolutely. and either forced into work situations, they're forced into sexual slavery. They're, you know, they're sold off to, to other countries for the same things, and it's it's trafficking is the act of the the, the actual living experience for the victim is slavery.
0: It's just horrible. It really is. Um, so you've now explored Vegas with two books, 19 Souls, and the most recent one, Skin Game. Are you going to write another one in this series? I would really like to. Actually, I had started it, but uh, it was with
1: Big Night Inc., and I'm not sure if you're familiar. They've shut up right Mystery Department. Right. So as soon right. as I have my rights back, I want to finish the third one. And uh, it, it's a little bit different. I don't want to go too much into it because I may never get the writer. or I may have to write it. With somebody. <laughs> right. But well, I yes, it. I would love to continue that series. And I've already talked to a couple of people about picking it up as, as soon as my agent, you know, can, can get my rights back.
0: So I want to talk about that because Midnight Inc. you know, shuttering their mysteries division really affected a lot of people and left
1: oh, yeah. a Thank lot you. of
0: people People's books orphaned essentially and mm-hmm. um and and so when that happens will will you get your rights back j d
1: um, well, according to, you know you have to go by your contract, so according to the contract that most people have been writing had, as long as the books are in print, and I, I say that with air quotes, and there's a particular number of years. Of, of of units that have to sell with a year within a year to be in print. So hmm. legally they can hold on to them as long as there's, you know, hundred books a year sold. With eBooks, that's pretty easy. However, right. I think that they all and this is just my personal opinion, so I can't you know, I'm not I don't know any insider. But my right. guess is the, the parent company of Midnight Inc., which is Llewellyn Books, get kind of tired right. of messing with royalty checks and stuff after a year and, and maybe and give us some of those rights back. I'm hoping so because I love him and I love this character and there's all kinds of things that I've put in there that about, you know, him, why did he pick the name Jim Bean, you know, when he changed right. his name, you know, there's a story right. behind that. There's a story about a couple other things that people ask me. I'm like, I can't tell you yet. Cause I might. get to finish this. Right.
0: I would think that when an organization shuts one of its doors, in order to avoid the horrible press that they got, uh, because it was so stunning to everyone, um, that they would be a little bit nicer to the authors whose books they've released and say, okay, give us a year and then you can have it all back. But, but right. I guess that, I would that's hope kind that's of, the case, but you know, but there, that's it's Pollyanna, I suppose. Right. right yeah. But right. yeah. You know, and, and, and most I think everyday readers do not understand what an imprint is, do not understand, you know, parent companies and how things like that happen. So, and, and it's right. sad because, uh, You know, so many good writers such as yourself and Amy and and the rest of you were all kind of left stunned without a publisher. So yeah, it was
1: definitely a a shock. However, you know, it's a business and, and, you know, we pull up our big girl panties, so to speak. You just keep writing. You know, it's one of the things that an author, the biggest thing that we have out of our control is the publishing end of that and the best right. thing I can do for myself is just sit back down. I've written another book. My agent has it out. You know, I've got I've got another one I have started. You know, I just have to just keep writing. You know, Katrina right. McPherson said it in a in a speech in an early mystery comic. You just keep writing. You, you know, do. That's unless you're ready,
0: about. unless you're ready to to give up the uh, the business, then that's what you have to do. Um, well, not for you... Britt tells me I have to. <laughs> 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 I just can't imagine that ever happening or you allowing it to happen, you know. It, it, no, you I don't choice, think so, no. Until you make the choice not to write anymore. And um, so, so you are pretty active on social media and you're involved in a lot of things in the writing community. How do you juggle mm-hmm. your time with doing that and with writing books? Or is that just well, part with- and parcel of it?
1: Well, it is part and parcel, but, you know, I I have to be a little bit regimented, so I have a certain amount of time that I set out a day that I need to be writing, and if I get I get that done, and then I can social media for a while, and then I'll, uh, sometimes, you know, I go back to writing some more, and, you know, then I can social media a while, you know, but I can't, I'm not a, can have the, the Facebook feed going while I'm writing kind of girl. Right I kind of, and I'm sure there are people who can do that, but i I can work with white noise around me, but I can't work with things that would actually pull my attention away.
0: Attention away. Do you write? Um, do you have music on, or can you have a TV on for white noise? Um, no. You know, well, the, no. the TV in the living room can
1: be on. Or uh, my mom lives with us now, so I can sometimes hear her TV on the other side of my wall, but it is kind of just a white noise. Right. I'm okay with that, but I couldn't. Now I do make myself a playlist for each book. But I listen Do to you. it when I'm not writing to help me think when I am writing.
0: Do you read so. others' books when you're in the process of writing?
1: Yeah, I'm always reading. I'm always reading. Um, I read, like right now I'm writing a psychological thriller. So I read several psych- psychological thrillers leading up to it. But right now I'm reading true crime. Because, well, I I really shouldn't be doing that either, because I'm actually writing a book about a podcaster. (laughs) You know (laughs) what? There you go. (laughs) I know. so Um, So I'm delving into a true crime, a fake true crime in my fiction. So I kind of bounce back and forth with what I read.
0: Actually I just um, got
1: Catch and Kill, which is Ronan Farrow's book about right. his investigation into Harry Weinstein, so I'm looking forward to opening that up.
0: Yeah, mine's on the way. I've ordered it, so I can't wait to uh to crack that book open. I, I wish that he was on book tour because I'd I'd love to have him on the show. It would be an interesting well, for me, not a conversation. It'd be an interesting thing to listen to, you know. He's <laughs> to. uh, not too bad to look at. Either. No, well, you know, <laughs> uh, I do a podcast, not a video cast, but that doesn't mean yeah. I can't scroll through, you know, Google, <laughs> getty Getty images and all that. Um.
1: <laughs> so Sorry. when we were talking, well, that's, that,
0: that's okay. Um, yeah, my mind just flashed <laughs> other places too. <laughs> Sorry. So you, so you said you can't, you can't have Facebook on and nothing scrolling through your feeds when you're writing. I have other writer friends who say that they have one laptop that's dedicated just as a word processor. In other words, they, it's not hooked up to the Internet at all. They're just using it to write their stories because it's just too hard to open a new tab and see what's going on with your friends in social media world. I, I don't have that problem. I've been writing long enough, you know, that I
1: can, you know, this is my writing time and I cherish it. And and I'll go look at social media when I die. There's really nothing going on there. So, right. you know, pressing that I can't wait two hours more, you know, so I've been writing two hours. I get two more hours, leave me alone, and then I'll let you know. Then I can do whatever I want. Right. Because usually about four, four and a half, five hours, we get into five hours of writing in my head. You know, that, that's a lot of time. It's a full day. That's a full be. day. And especially yeah. when you're writing these last two books I've been working on are really, really not that the other two weren't dark, but, you know, very dark. And I, you
0: know, I,
1: I just have to walk away from it after a few hours.
0: So when you close your eyes at night, are you thinking of lines for your book of chapters and words, or are you able to just put it all away, regardless of how dark the book is, or how dark? Depends your on how much, is. <laughs> 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 how much
1: wine I've had.
0: How much wine I've had. Listen, I, I can totally relate. <laughs> That's so uh, funny. Well, I,
1: like I said, in the book, I just said, it, the book that my agent has out right now. It, you know, she was suicidal. <laughs> The the protagonist was suicidal, and right. we got really close to, you know, I went through in the book a couple of suicide attempts with her, and yeah, that gets really hard to kind of just get up and walk away from and shake off, so right. it, it, that's when I try to read something or watch something that's, you know, remotely funny or amusing just to kind of shake it off. I go for a walk often. Now that I'm in a subdivision, I have a bicycle. I can go for a ride.
0: (laughs) Oh, well, that's good. I'm glad. Um, It is sometimes hard to leave it in the office, though. I would imagine it's when I'm reading um, a guest book and it's a really dark book. I find that when I and I read pretty fast. I and I read a lot uh, because I don't own a television. Like you, I have a bunch of cats, as you know. Um, So Mm -hmm. I have a very quiet life. But if I look and it's very dark, like cartel books are real hard for me to read. So I will close that book and open my Kindle and go to like a romantic comedy or urban fantasy right, or something right, else. Because it's, right. it, it's too hard to stay in that mindset all the time. And, and I mean, yeah. I, I like thrillers. I, I do. I love them. Don't get me wrong. But And sometimes, though, I'll get to like almost the last chapter. And I have to close the book, and then I say, I'll read the ending in the morning. I, I, I don't know why that is. It's a weird habit oh, I I've can't gotten do into. It. I can't do it. Yeah. I like to I say have that I
1: to. used to have a quiet life, but my husband now works at home, and my mother moved in. So the three of us are here 24-7. <laughs> <laughs> and you have
0: your my menagerie. the
1: beach. Yeah, well, the menagerie. You... You know, is, I know. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> so funny.
0: So I might be what's finding a coffee on...
1: shop to work in.
0: I see. <laughs> and ahead. that's another thing. How how do people work in a coffee shop with the cat caffeine, you know, of, of people chattering and the, you know, calling for your orders? No. See, that's, nose,
1: that's white noise. That's white noise. I wrote with a friend in, in North Carolina every now and then I go, to you know, a couple of days a week for a while. We were meeting at the mall and we were sitting right outside the food court. And I did that on purpose, knowing this was coming. And I learned to write with stuff going on. And even if I had to break attention for a minute, you know, training myself to kind of be able to get into the mode to write with a life inside the house. Uh, One of the first conferences I ever went to and one of the first panels I ever went to was Heather Graham. And I don't know how many books she's written. Right. And somebody asked her that question about writing. She said, well, I've written most of my books throughout my life in my kitchen, and I have five kids. Yep. And And all the grandbabies now. Right. Well, now, but this was 10 years ago, 15 years ago when I first saw her. And uh, back then I knew I had to learn to not be so persnickety about it being particularly quiet. And if, you know, used to, if something took me out of it and I'd be all huffy and I'd be done for the day. But obviously not anymore.
0: So so here, here's kind of the reverse of that. How do coffee shop owners feel about you damn slacker authors sitting around writing all day and not <laughs> spending any money? <laughs> That's well, what I want to know. Spend money.
1: I always buy well, you know, uh, coffee and lunch or whatever if I'm somewhere, and usually if you go – at lunchtime and stay till that you know that twelve to four o'clock when there's not a lot going on. You're not in their way, and then you know they get a kick out of the fact that there's an author sitting there working, especially you know one that's actually published something and you give them a book or two and you know and they're ah, very conscious of if you are in their way, you leave. You're it's bribery. It's a crowded. <laughs> it's bribery, bribery if you, but if you do if you get in their way you you know if it's starting to get busy, you don't want to hold the table when other people could be using it
0: right well, that's nice of you i I hope that everybody does that um uh I don't know, so here's another question. I am a big advocate of of reviewing books as a matter of fact, our network has a page called Book Review Crew in Facebook where we mm-hmm. review, anybody who asks for us to review a book, we will as long as we can review it. I mean, we don't do bad reviews. Um, so we, they get anywhere from 500 to 45,000 organic hits on on their reviews. However, I, I hear people saying, if you like my book, please leave a review. Authors saying that. And I think, well, I liked your book enough to buy it. Do I have to now go and write a review for you too? I think a lot of people are intimidated by writing reviews. They don't recognize how easy it is to do it. So
1: And they I don't think they understand what it does for us as far as algorithms go. My ego does what? not need a review,
0: quite frankly. Right. But if right. somebody
1: leaves a review on Amazon, every one of those reviews bumps my book up in the algorithms. For when right. people search that they find, like for example, Stuart Woods had a book called Skin Game come out the, the same time that mine right. did. <laughs> so he's going to get more reviews, he's going to get more buzz, and he's going to be way higher in the algorithm. And my book might not even show up for a page. You know, so when so people in- leave us reviews, yeah, it's just help, it helps us. It's one of the few things that we can ask people to do that can help us help ourselves, if that and makes sense. I think what
0: it does is, is there's, to the left column, there's, there's a little section that says, if you like this book, you will you might also like this. And that, right. I think, is, is what Amazon yes. does when you have enough reviews. And it's a damn exactly. shame that they do that. Amazon has cleared the deal for a lot of people. I have to say, I remember going into bookstores, and I still do this, I'll go into bookstores and the half a space that is devoted to books and not to tchotchkes and mugs and a coffee shop, uh, you would go to fiction, nonfiction, and maybe cookbooks and self-help, not the you know, 300 genres of fiction that you have to go look at mystery or thriller, and then there's a, a bunch of other sub-genres in there. It's a crazy Mm -hmm. thing that Amazon did. I understand it's to make it easier for people to find a book that they're going to like, but it's made it a hell of a lot harder. I mean, you can put your books under a lot of different subtitles with Amazon, whereas in a a library or in a bookstore, you would just go into fiction. Right.
1: You know, my local library here has gone back to that. It's just fiction now. It's all in yeah. fiction again.
0: Because ha- yeah. how could you? How could you possibly have the 500 genres that that Amazon has laid out? You can't. What Mar Library mm-hmm. System does is they leave bookmarks around, and on the bookmarks it'll say, "If you like mysteries, here are some mystery authors. If you like culinary." Mysteries. Here are some culinary mysteries. If you like military mysteries, right. they, they so you they have all these different color bookmarks laid out around the um uh around the library. Helped me a lot when I first started voraciously reading, and you know wasn't doing a, a show, just reading for pleasure. When I first got divorced and I I didn't have a car or any money because he stole both. <laughs> I'd walk <laughs> over to the brand new library and um. I asked them how many books I could take out, and they said, you can check out 50 books in 30 days. I went and bought one of those old lady shopping carts, and that's how I'd walk down to the library, <laughs> get 50 books, and then return them. <laughs> so I bought
1: one of those for carrying books around the cons when I need.
0: <laughs> yeah, honestly, they work out great. Um, how mm-hmm. do you feel about about your books being in a used bookstore? Are you a- opposed to that? Oh, absolutely not. I always think if, I, I, if there's I find...
1: times that I use, I use bookstores now. So I, I still go to use bookstores and buy books occasionally. If I, you know, I live in a beach town. There's used right. bookstores everywhere around here. Right. I, you know, it's just I, I feel like if someone buys one of my books in the used bookstore, that maybe later on down the road they might buy one that's not oh, used. Oh. And if they don't, I don't care. Right. They're reading. You know.
0: Right. And you know, for me, I got turned on to a lot of different series and authors by going into a used bookstore mm-hmm. and um and so it was a i mean I'm not a book buying snob if I'm passing a yard sale and they have a bunch of books out. And they're selling one for twenty-five cents. I'm buying it if it's something that interests me. So oh, you they know, do. I, and
1: I also like at the at the yard sales and even at the thrift stores. I'll buy stacks of books and I send them yeah. to um, Operation Paperback. So they go to the VAs. They go to the guys over guys and ladies overseas. So every time yep. I'm at a I see yard sale or something, I buy a box of books. I come home and I I go on Operation Paperback, and I I get an address and I ship them out.
0: That's really cool. I take mine to food banks because people who can't afford food can't afford books. I also take them to emergency shelters for women and children. And Mm -hmm. lately I've been taking them to the children's hospital when I have children's books or young adult books because kids who are by themselves, you know, can't play video games all day because there are not enough of them to go around, but they can certainly read. So right. um I, I like that Operation Paperback. I'm gonna go ahead and post that. Um, what's next for you, Jules? Well, like I said, my agent's got a book I've already
1: written out and I'm just writing another one and you'll see me at conferences and talking and, talk and, sure and sure about book or about writing. And, I'm sure well, I will. And, you know, I just love I love the tribe, you know being around the other authors always jazz me and always come home much more excited about writing and not you know and i i just i'm not sure what it is about the conferences that i love so much but i do i i
0: like them too and i'm always honored i'm glad i'm honored that people actually you know allow me to go and they talk to me when I'm there because <laughs> obviously I'm not a writer. You know, I, that's why, as you know, I always try to broadcast live from where, wherever I am. So um, yeah, you do hope, Yes, you do. Always. I mean, I think you were on one of them about your con in St. Pete, weren't you? Didn't I interview you? Uh, probably then? so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I've and had not since
0: then, so. <laughs> <laughs> Give everybody your website, please.
1: It is uh, allen with an E, books.com. Because there's a J.D. Allen that's a very famous jazz trumpeter. Trump, trump, I should know that. Since trumpeter. My dad, trumpeter. Trumpeter. That, yeah. that if you just pull up J.D. Allen, you're going to see a whole lot of him. And, and he plays beautifully, by the way. So it's jdallenbooks.com.
0: And what kind of social media can we find you in?
1: I am on Facebook, I'm not on Twitter as much as Facebook anymore, and I do have an Insta, but I'm also, I think I'm almost a little too grandma for the Insta.
0: <laughs> yeah, everyone says I should start Insta, and I'm, I'm kind of afraid because with 30 shows to help populate and get authors for and, you know, do all the different things, um, you know, and 500 emails a day. Uh, I, I don't know if I can do it. I'm assured that I can, you know, connect Instagram to my Facebook. And and Twitter scares me because people are really nasty on there, even though I try to filter well, it, it goes out. so
1: fast. I can't, you know, the yeah, conversations, yeah, right. you know, the few times I can get on a day, the conversations are long past by the oh my time God. I see them.
0: I'm, I'm lucky look, if well, I can. Lucky if I can get on in a in a month, you know. <laughs> just right, I right. I, just, I don't understand how to appropriately use it. So even though I actually did a Twitter panel on the show one time and and was coached on how to be a good Twitter user, um, it almost sounded like homework to me. So I was not interested. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is my but friend J D Allen. Most of who, my, I'm sorry. Yeah. Most of my social media
1: is Facebook.
0: Well, I just – and I have my Facebook um, tied to Twitter, so I just hashtag whenever I remember. You know, most times I don't. Um, This is J.D. Allen. She is a wonderful, wonderful human being who writes mysteries and other stuff. And I'm glad you finally got on the show and I'm sorry it took so long to get you here. I hope you feel better and get over the conference cred pretty fast or allergies or whatever you're blaming it on, you know, it works for me. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, come back when you, uh, when you next book releases. Okay.
1: We'll do. We'll do. Thank you so much for having
0: me. You're so welcome. And thank you for listening, everybody. And of course, always Thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later.